Let's paint a picture. You're seventy years old, and you're tired all the time, but you think that's normal. After all, you're seventy. Your doctor tells you it comes with the age, and you're overreacting. One day, out of the blue, the right side of your face starts sagging. Your speech is slurred. You can't seem to lift your right hand, so you rush to the hospital for treatment, and the medical team tells you you've had a stroke. The doctor tells you the cause. Atrial fibrillation, or AFib, a problem with your heart. One third of all strokes over the age of sixty are caused by AFib, and what's most important for you to know, it is treatable. On today's episode, we walk through what you need to know about AFib. Heart to Heart is a series made for you, the patient. We hope to better public health and help you really understand more about your heart. If you are suffering from heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or you really just want to learn more about your heart, then you should be listening to Heart to Heart with your hosts, the Yusuf Twins. We will delve into many topics across the field of cardiology to help you improve your health. Don't be confused. Be healthy. I'm Mohammed Yusuf. Our guest today is Dr. Asal, a cardiologist in Charleston, West Virginia, who has spent the majority of his time understanding the complex electrical activity of the heart. He is affiliated with multiple hospitals in the area, including Charleston Area Medical Center as well as West Virginia University. Dr. Asal has even made his own public education initiative. A local television segment, House Call with Dr. Asal. Welcome, Dr. Asal. We're happy to have you here today. Thank you so much, Mohammed. I'm glad to be here and be part of this very interesting project. So,、uh, why don't we start with the very basics? What is atrial fibrillation? So, Mohammed, atrial fibrillation or AFib is the one of the most common and untreated heart rhythm disorders. It affects more than 33 million people. Around the world, but what atrial fibrillation is that it involves an irregular quivering or rapid rhythm in the heart's upper chambers, which are called the atria. So it makes the upper chamber beat irregularly, and thus the bottom chamber will respond to it with an irregular heartbeat that is detected by palpating an irregular pulse. So I've actually seen a video of it, and it, you're right. It, you said quiver, and it literally looks like a quiver. Yeah. So the normal heart itself has a spark plug, plug called the sinus node, which is located in the right top chamber of the heart. That spark plug normally produces regular electrical activities that goes to the AV node, which is the junction box between the top and bottom chambers of the heart. And then the electricity goes down with wires to the bottom chambers of the heart. So that's the normal heart activity. In atrial fibrillation, this sinus node, which is the spark plug of the heart, is taken over by multiple other small spark plugs in both the top chambers of the heart that all together beat in the same time in a very irregular and chaotic fashion. So no longer the top chambers of the heart now contract and beat regularly and efficiently. They don't even have time to contract fully, but rather they quiver in space, and that quivering gets conducted through the junction box to the bottom chamber of the heart and makes the bottom chamber of the heart beat in an irregular fashion.
You said 33 million people across the world suffer from atrial fibrillation. What can you tell us about what you've seen locally? Well, it's a very common disorder, and it's more common in our new society where overweight is a problem. Uh, being overweight is a problem, and what obesity does to the body is that it causes other conditions that can predispose to AFib, especially sleep apnea. But this is one of the most common situations that we see now that the AFib age has shifted downwards, and we're seeing more and more young patients with AFib for multiple reasons. One of it, the increased um, obesity rate and thus the increased sleep apnea rate which can cause increased AFib but also heart disease by itself coronary artery disease or blockages in the heart arteries have been affecting younger and younger individuals and when you have that when you when that damage happens to your heart muscle and when the heart muscle weakens that can also predispose to AFib so we are seeing more and more of AFib uh, recently and there's also an increased awareness among medical providers for AFib. Whereas in the past, a lot of times AFib has gone undetected or patients were told you can live with AFib all your life. Nowadays, there are ways to treat AFib with medications or with a procedure. So the medical providers are more attentive to sending patients earlier to a specialist like myself for treatment of AFib. The next thing I wanted to ask was, what causes AFib? I, I know there are many different factors, but is there anything that's a little bit more common, or is it just a cumulative effect? Well, there is no single cause for AFib, but there's what we call in medicine risk factors for AFib. And risk factors for AFib are number one, age. So the older you are, the higher chance that you will develop AFib. Number two is high blood pressure. And that also, if it happens over the years, it increases your likelihood of having AFib. Number three is coronary artery disease, which is blockages in the coronary arteries and heart attacks. In addition, as I spoke earlier, obesity is a very important cause and sleep apnea that's left un untreated. So there's a predisposition or for or, or a collaboration of factors that can lead to AFib. Now, there's a kind of AFib that we cannot find a, a reason for, and that's called lone AFib. Usually happens in younger individuals and is more amenable to ablation. But in these people, you look for a reason or for risk factor and you don't find any. What are some symptoms, some common symptoms of atrial fibrillation? Common symptoms that people feel will include, for example, heart palpitations. People tell me that they're feeling a fluttering or a funny feeling in the chest or the heart flip-flopping. They can have fainting, dizziness, weakness, shortness of breath, and even chest pain. Most of them, though, come to me with the symptom of fatigue or lack of energy that cannot be attributed to anything else. Okay. If somebody thinks they may be experiencing symptoms like these, like, for example, the classic you know, palpitations, butterfly feeling in their chest, what should they do? Because, I mean, you don't want them to... People sometimes fear they're overreacting. Well, definitely, if you have any symptoms, you should always consult with your doctor. Sometimes when you go to your doctor, you're not having that symptom, and that symptom is intermittent. So there's something called the heart monitor that you can wear on your skin. You take it home, and it's going to record your heart rhythm for a period that's determined by your physician. It can be 
24, 48 hours, or up to 30 days. And during that time, you have the option, if you have the symptom, to press the button and record the symptom, and that will freeze the, your heart rhythm at that moment in time, and your doctor will be able to see it and find out if you are having AFib or some other heart rhythm disorder. But definitely do not ignore any symptoms that you think are not normal to you. You're talking about the Holter monitor? I'm talking about Holter monitors, event monitors, and what's called MCOT, which is an abbreviation basically for mobile cardiac telemetry. Okay, so there's many multiple there monitors. multiple monitors, yes. So depending on the suspicion of your physician and depending on how often you get the symptoms, if you get the symptoms once a week, then a Holter monitor for 24 hours is not going to help. But probably an event monitor for two or three weeks which gives you the option of pressing the button when you are having an event, meaning you're having a symptom, would be a better option. We talked a little bit about symptoms, how we can detect it, maybe if you think you might be having it. How is it actually diagnosed? Basically, EKG, an electrocardiogram, which is a recording of your heart electrical activity, with patches that are put on your chest and hooked up to an EKG machine. Now, that's how AFib is diagnosed if you are in AFib at that moment. But there are multiple kinds of AFib. There's a kind that comes and goes. It's called paroxysmal. There's a kind that comes and stays and is called persistent. So if you're having paroxysmal AFib, you can be at your doctor's office and you're in normal rhythm. When you go home, you can go in AFib. That's where the monitors that we talked about come into play. From what I'm gathering, it's a difference in how long you're experiencing these symptoms. How long and how frequent. How long and how, how frequent. frequent. And whether the AFib stays, comes and stays, and you're in AFib the whole time, or the AFib comes and goes, meaning you're in AFib for an hour, two hours, a day, two days, but then you have periods when you are in normal rhythm in between. What, what are some of the dangers that are associated with atrial fibrillation? The most important thing that we need to be aware of in AFib patients is the risk of stroke. Because remember, as we talked about in the beginning, when the top chamber of the heart starts quivering and does not contract efficiently, that means the blood can swirl in the top chamber of the heart. And when it swirls and doesn't move as quickly and is not pumped as efficiently, it can form a clot. And the clot can go to the brain and cause a stroke. So the stroke is our biggest fear for AFib, and that's why it needs to be treated with medications called blood thinners to prevent the risk of stroke. The different forms of AFib, uh, do they have different risks associated with them? Not really. So once you have AFib, your risk of stroke is predetermined by other factors such as your age, your gender, if you have any other comorbidities such as a previous stroke, diabetes, high blood pressure, blockages in the heart arteries. But whether the AFib comes and goes or the AFib comes and stays, meaning persistent all the time, does not affect your risk of stroke. Your risk of stroke is still high regardless. How is uh, AFib treated by cardiologists? 
All right, so there are multiple ways to treat AFib. Medications are usually first used to treat AFib. Uh, however, research studies have shown that almost half of all patients fail drug therapy. Those medications can be what we call rate control, meaning the patient stays in AFib, but we give them medication to make sure that their heart rate does not go fast, or can be what we call rhythm control medications, which are very strictly regulated medications, usually are given by an electrophysiologist, which is a cardiologist like myself who specialized, who spent extra time to specialize in heart rhythm disorders. Those medications obviously come with side effects and need to be monitored very closely, but those medications intend to maintain and keep the, rhythm, uh, the patient in normal rhythm. Now, once medications fail, then we talk about catheter ablations because there are new medical technologies right now that have the potential to provide patients with better treatment options and even reduce the risk of stroke, heart failure, or death. Now, catheter ablation is a minimally invasive procedure and the goal of this treatment is to stop the rapid beating of the upper heart chambers by blocking the conduction of AFib triggers. And there are two kinds of AFib ablation that the FDA has approved. Number one, what we call radiofrequency ablation, which delivers heat energy to block the abnormal electrical path in the heart. And number two is cryoablation, which freezes the tissue in the heart upper chamber to block the electrical signals that trigger the erratic heart rhythm. So we're basically taking out those electrical, I think you should call them spark points. Those spark points or triggers. Or yeah. triggers yeah. that are exactly. contributing to the irregular rhythm. Exactly, exactly. So I think we'll just end with one last question, which is if somebody is diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, what can the patient do to avoid triggering an episode? It's really, there's really very little things that the patient can do to prevent another episode. What the patient can work on is modifying the risk factors that led to AFib. So if the patient has high blood pressure, this needs to be under control. If the patient has a problem with weight, he needs to try to lose weight. Good diet and good exercise can help. If the patient has sleep apnea, sleep apnea treatment needs to be in place. Because regardless of how much you give the patient medications or you do ablations on them, if they have sleep apnea that's not treated, the AFib episodes are going to come back. But basically, once AFib starts happening, you have really to consult with an electrophysiologist to decide about whether you need medications or ablations to prevent future episodes of AFib. Okay, yeah, that sounds like uh, quite a common theme among cardiologists, the diet, the exercise, because keeping yourself healthy in general. Basically, yeah, you're, uh, as we say, killing multiple birds with one stone. So, yeah, yeah. so that's the idea because bad diet, bad um, heart health does not only affect one aspect of the heart. You have to look at the heart as your house. The house has a plumbing and has electrical. When flood happens in the house, it damages both your plumbing, your furniture, your walls, and your electrical. Same thing in the heart. It can damage the plumbing, which are the arteries that cause blockages and can cause heart attack, but it also can damage the electrical system of the heart and can cause AFib that can lead to a stroke. So it's all connected. Yeah. In one of our previous episodes, we were talking with the cardiac rehab people. They brought up an excellent point, which is there is no pill that can ever do as much as diet and exercise can for you. 
True. I think that's a wonderful lesson to remember. Sure. That's it for today's episode on atrial fibrillation. I'm Muhammad Yusuf and Kifika Saad. Until next time, stay heart healthy. If you are curious to learn more about your heart, and more importantly, what you can do to keep it in great shape, you can find more informative episodes like this one by searching Heart to Heart on Apple Podcasts or Heart to Heart Cast on YouTube.